We have spoken of other sacrifices and usurping false priests who offer those sacrifices. But the Bible nowhere teaches a concept of a liturgical priesthood in the church. Nowhere is a priest appointed to offer sacrifices for sin other than Christ. The Roman Catholic Catechism claims that Christ died to institute their blasphemous priesthood so that we might have priests with us now that Christ has died. But Christ is in fact still our high priest. They claim the Mass is a propitiatory sacrifice for sin. When Christ has already taken away our sin by His sacrifice once for all. But Hebrews makes it clear any sacrifice that must be repeated does not take away our sin. A repeated sacrifice that does not purge the sinner forever serves only as a constant reminder of unforgiven sin. Those who refuse the Mass but trust only in the sacrifice that Jesus made for sinners and in His exclusive presentation of His own blood at the throne of God have been made perfectly acceptable to God already. Therefore, God is pleased to accept our offerings, not for our sin, but as praise, worship, obedience, and kind deeds done in Christ's name. Such offerings, the Scriptures assure us, are well-pleasing to our God. Of course, our gifts to God can never match the glory and value of God's gift of Christ to us. Yet God does desire to receive spiritual sacrifices from His loved ones. Christ taught that even the widow's might was accepted by God. Mary's costly ointment from the alabaster box anointing Christ was accepted with His high praise. And it is to be remembered of her for all time. There can be nothing too extravagant for the worship and praise of our Savior. Even the little children who praised Jesus with shouts asserting His glory as Messiah were warmly embraced by Christ. The religious leaders tried to shut them up. But Christ pointed out that they were fulfilling the prophecy that God would perfect unto Himself praise from the mouth of babes. If we love Him, Christ told us, we ought to keep His commandments, especially the love of the brethren and to show kindness to each other. In the great judgment, the Lord Jesus calls to mind the deeds of kindness done by His people to each other and declares that He receives them as if they had been done to Himself personally. This shows how greatly does Christ identify Himself with His poor people whom He came to redeem as our near kinsman. We are told to make our bodies living sacrifices to God. And in those imperfect bodies, to work hard, to do good, to be kind, to serve the Lord, to rejoice in hope, to be fervent in prayer, and to give help to the Lord's people. By Christ's blood, Hebrews instructs us, we have been made perfect in every good work to do God's will, to work what is well-pleasing to Him, Christ's blood not only perfects all who trust in Him, but it is the power that sanctifies us as well. But we are like little children. We're too poor ourselves to give anything useful to our family and friends. That's why our parents gave us pocket money 
to buy our gifts, and though they were simple and mostly useless to the recipients, yet they were received by our parents and family with thanks and praise. Similarly, we are incapable in ourselves of doing anything worthy of God's receiving, but God works in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. Any gifts or sacrifices we make to God are only by the power of the Holy Ghost working in our hearts. He gives us all our gifts, which we then return to Him in thanksgiving and worship and praise. We are created anew in Christ Jesus unto good works. Thus God receives all the glory for our obedience and worship. These things do not cause our justification and righteousness and peace with God. These things are from Christ alone. Rather, these things are the consequences of Christ's blood applied to us unto salvation. That is why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling when we recognize the mighty power flowing through us that transforms us and motivates and propels us to will and to do God's good pleasure. These are just a part of God's gifts to His people that He makes us willing and able to give to Him good presents that are acceptable to Him. In the end, all of our delight and worship and praise to Christ is overwhelmed by God's love for us. God exalts in His loved ones. He rejoices in joy over us. He joys over us with singing, the prophets tell us. That is why God gave us His great gift of His own Son in the first place. His dying to save us from our sins and to change us little by little into the image of Christ. What we are doing this morning at the Lord's table is offering sacrifices of worship, praise, and thanksgiving to our God and to the Lamb that was slain to redeem us. Our high priest sits in glory even now, interceding for us, presenting his sacrifice that saved us, and God receives our thank offerings for Jesus' sake. We have been made trophies of Christ's grace by the glory of his death for us. Right now, in this meeting place, God is going about the business of perfecting praise by His little ones unto our Lord Jesus. Now, God has provided His people with offerings and sacrifices and gifts and worship and praise to Himself. And all those offerings, which are not for sin, but rather are our response to Christ's soul sacrifice for our sin. We spoke of last Lord's Day. Which raises the question, what is our position in offering such sacrifices of praise to our God? Sacrifices which He has declared He is pleased to receive. What position does that imply we must hold. Scripture declares that God has made all believers priests unto Himself. People call this by the shorthand the priesthood of the believers. Never to offer Him sin offerings. No, but only offerings of peace and praise and worship because He has saved us. Because Christ has been made our 
sin offering already. Now this is not new. The idea goes back to the earliest books of the Scriptures. In Exodus chapter 19, we read this interesting and yet tragic text of Scripture. In the third month when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim and were come to the desert of Sinai and had pitched in the wilderness and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto Myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey My voice indeed, and keep My covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto Me above all people, for all the earth is Mine. And ye shall be unto Me a kingdom of priests, and an holy nation, These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. You see the offer here that if Israel would keep the covenant and would be obedient and perfect, then they would be a peculiar treasure above all the people, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was the offer of the Mosaic Covenant to all of Israel. And like idiots, the people said, oh yeah, we'll do that. We're good for it. We will obey all your commandments. We will be faithful. We will be pure so we can be your peculiar treasure above all other people, and so we can be to you a kingdom of priests. Ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests if ye obey my commandments, God said. But forty days later, they had a golden calf they had constructed, and they were all dancing naked about it and worshiping it. Because as for this fellow Moses, we don't know what happened to him and They said, this is your God that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And you remember that even Aaron betrayed the Lord, betrayed his brother Moses, and joined in to this sin of building a golden calf idol and causing all the people to worship it, to celebrate in front of it. Because now the priesthood would be limited to Aaron and the tribe of Levi, wouldn't it? Because the offer that had been made had been vitiated, had been violated by the people of Israel at the soonest opportunity possible. So they could no longer be a kingdom of priests because they didn't keep to the agreement that they made with God that He extended to them. So now the priesthood from that point on would be limited to Aaron and Levi Nobody else would be allowed to be a priest before God. Nobody else could be a priest before God. In fact, God instructed that no stranger could come nigh unto the altar before the tabernacle. And if one did so, he was to be put to death. All others were barred from the holiest of places. 
All others were barred from the outer chamber of the tabernacle. And many who were not Israelites were barred from the confines of the tent that held the altar of sacrifice. They could no longer come into the presence of God to offer sacrifice. Not even the Levites could offer sacrifice. Only the priests, even then only once a year, could they come into the Holy of Holies. And then only if they brought the blood of beasts of a sacrifice. This was a tragic failure on the part of the people of Israel to be pure before God, to be priests unto Him. Now there is a hint that there would be a reformation. We read it in the text in Malachi chapter 3 this morning, didn't we? Behold, I will send my messenger, the Lord says, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? Who will stand when he appeareth? For he's like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. So you see that the offering made by the priests, and Levi stands for the priests here in this text, the offerings were not acceptable to God because the priests had not been purified and purged of their sin. Therefore, the offerings weren't pleasant to the Lord, were they? But there was a promise, a prophetic statement that one day the Lord would cleanse His people so that they could offer sacrifices to Him that would be pleasing to Him. If you look at the situation that the writer of Malachi is referencing, How bad had they sunk? How low had they gone since the Lord instituted the Aaronic priesthood after the golden calf incident? Well, we find this in an extended reading in Isaiah chapter 1. The vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know my people, doth not consider. That is, who is their master and owner? Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children which are corruptors, They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country's desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land foreigners devour it in your presence. 
and it is desolate. It's overthrown by foreigners. And the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard or as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been like Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of the fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I, I cannot bear. It is iniquity, even the solemn setting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary of bearing them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek justice. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye are willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. How is the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of justice. Righteousness lodged in it. But now murderers. Thy silver has become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth bribes and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of mine adversaries and avenge myself of mine enemies, and I will turn my hand upon thee and thoroughly purge away thy dross, take away all thy tin, and I will restore the judges as at the first, thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her converts with righteousness. And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks which ye have desired, and ye shall be confounded by the gardens that ye have chosen. For ye shall be as an oak whose leaf fadeth, and as a garden that hath no water. And the strong shall be as wick, and the maker of it as a spark. And they shall both burn together, and none shall quench them. So we get the impression that God is displeased with Israel, And this is the filthiness that the writer of Malachi is referring to. And without the purging of the Redeemer, of the Lord's people, their sacrifices cannot be accepted and are no longer pleasing unto the Lord.
In Malachi 3, that we just read, there is a hint, isn't there, that the way to the altar would be widened when Jesus came to purify the sons of Levi, then they too would be able to offer up sacrifices of righteousness. But then, going further on, when Jesus came and purified His people by His atoning blood sacrifice, He brought strangers nigh unto God, joining all His people together in one, the Scriptures teach us. Now we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. Now we are built into the very temple of God. We who have been barred as strangers from the altar. And we read this in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 11, where Paul says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who once were far off are made nigh, mark this, by the blood of Christ. It's by the blood of Christ that our sins are taken away, that we're justified, that we're declared righteous for Jesus' sake, and it makes us, brings us near to God's presence, doesn't it? It brings us near to God's presence and it joins us with all of the Lord's people, His congregation, His church, for He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you who were far off, to them that were near, for through him ye both, that is Jew and Gentile believers, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no longer strangers and sojourners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So Paul is describing how by the blood of Christ, lost sinners are brought into union with all of God's people who are also saved by the blood of Christ and then brought nigh unto God by the Spirit that God has sent to indwell all of His people and then incorporated into a building, a spiritual temple whose cornerstone is the Lord Jesus. And we are all incorporated into that building in which God will dwell with His people, built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And this is the marvelous position that the church has, the congregations of the Lord's people, and universally all those who have trusted in God's promise of salvation, that we are made into a temple 
for the living God. And this is a fulfillment of a promise made in Isaiah chapter 56 that even foreigners and Gentiles would be built into the walls, it says, of the temple of God. But further still than being built together with Christ and all the saints into a spiritual temple, to a spiritual temple of God, wherein He dwells and wherein we worship and make our offerings, there is something else even more grand assigned to us. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 at verses 4 and 5, and then following at verses 9 and 10. To whom coming, that is, we have come as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen by God, and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So you see, Peter annexes to the idea that we're built up into a temple, that we're also entered into an holy priesthood. Why? For the purpose of offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So this text reveals to us that we're not only built into the temple of God in which God dwells by the Holy Spirit, but we've been ordained or assigned or anointed as priests to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now these sacrifices are not sacrifices for sin, Notice that the reason that we can offer these spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God is by Jesus Christ because He has already made the sacrifice for sin and thereby He has purged us of our evil, of our wickedness, of our sin. We've been justified. We've been made to appear holy and without blame before God because of Jesus' death. So our sacrifices will not be sin offerings They will, however, be acceptable spiritual sacrifices. And that's what we spoke about at length last Lord's Day. But then at verse 9, Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Here is the fulfillment of the offer that God made to the children of Israel in Exodus 19. That they should be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests to God. And now only through the blood of Jesus Christ has it been made possible because He has purged us of our sin. He has taken away our guilt. He has justified us by His blood. And now we can be incorporated into the temple of the living God. And we can be designated in holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And notice it says we're a royal priesthood that we should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous lights. Notice that the nature of our priesthood is that it's to show the glory of God. It's to show praises to Him. For what He has done, He's called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. So the theme of our sacrifices is again glory and praise and worship to God. 
And that is not just our words. It's not just our physical actions in church. It's not just our partaking of the Lord's table. All of those are part of it. But it's also obedience to God's commandments, kindness to our brethren and to those beyond, diligent work, faithfulness, resting in hope of the promise that God has made us through Jesus Christ. So we have been designated a royal priesthood by God Himself. Peter has informed us that we who were nobodies are now made royal priests, fit to offer sacrifices. These sacrifices are our praise and worship and thanksgiving and deeds of charity and obedience and faithfulness that is done in Jesus' name. Now recall that a priest, to be a priest, has to have something to offer, doesn't he? Remember, the writer of Hebrews made this point and built a great deal of his logic and argument on it. Hebrews chapter 8, it says at verse 3, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Notice, the purpose of the priest is in part to offer gifts and sacrifices to God. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man, that is Christ, have somewhat also to offer. He's backing his way into the argument that Christ's offering is his own body and blood. He had to have something to offer if he's going to be a priest. It logically follows. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. He's saying that we already have an ironic priesthood and God's already assigned them sacrifices to make. And He's excluded everyone else from making animal sacrifices. So therefore, Christ couldn't offer animal sacrifices because He wasn't qualified. There was already a priesthood and the law already established who was allowed to offer animal sacrifices, which is a good thing since they didn't work anyway. And He's going to go on, of course, to develop the fact that Christ's offering is Himself. And it does take away sin. And it is the most glorious sacrifice. But consider that we can draw from this text of Scripture the logic. What is the logic of it? The logic is that we have to have, if we're going to be a royal priesthood, we have to have offerings and sacrifices that we can make to God, don't we? Now, because Aaron already offered animal sacrifices, Christ as priest must have another offering for sin. That is, His own body and blood. And if believers are to be priests to God, then we must have an offering to make, not for sin, because that's the sacrifice of our own high priest, the Lord Jesus. He's already made that sacrifice. You see, we dare not pretend to usurp Christ's priesthood by thinking we can offer sacrifices for sin. This is the usurpation of the Roman Catholic priests, which we discussed in previous sermons. No, our sacrifice and offering must be different from Aaron's, which could not take away sin. And our sacrifice must be different from Christ's, whose sacrifice of Himself took away our sin. It is by Christ's sacrifice that purged our sins that we are entitled to enter boldly into the presence of God with our offerings. 
Hebrews tells us that because the blood of Jesus has purged our sin, we can have boldness to enter into the holiest of holies of heaven, coming before God's glory through the veil that is Christ's sacrifice. Our priestly sacrifice is described in Hebrews 13, 15 and 16. By Him, therefore, that is by Christ, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, communicate means to share, to help others. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Well, that's just a summary of what we said about what sort of sacrifices God is well pleased to receive from us. You see, our priestly sacrifices are those we spoke of last Lord's Day at great length. And God is well pleased by these offerings and sacrifices of His believer priests. So you can see how twisted and perverted is any system of priesthood, liturgical priesthood, such as the Roman Catholic system and the Mass, and its so-called priests. You see, they pretend to offer a sacrifice for sin when Christ has already done so. And then they demand rituals and work of their congregants and turn those into a monstrous form of works salvation, which the Scriptures repudiate. But Christ has overthrown the Romanist so-called priests by making all those who trust in the sacrifice of Jesus alone for their salvation a kingdom of priests to continually offer praise, thanksgiving, obedience, kindness, diligence, helps unto our God and for others. You see, the Scriptures have planned beforehand that the royal priesthood of believers is to shoehorn out of the picture any pretend priesthood that would offer up sacrifices for sin, such as the Roman Catholic priesthood and any other false religious priesthood that replaces what Christ has done. No, you see, what Christ has done in us replaces them forces them out of the picture. For the priests of God now are the Lord Jesus and all those who trust in Him, the believer priests, whom He has clearly ordained in Scripture. Christ, you see, has taken away our sins. We are a kingdom of priests to God. Christ overthrows the Romanist so-called priests by making all those who trust in the sacrifice of Jesus alone for their salvation, a kingdom of priests, to continually offer praise, thanksgiving, obedience, kindness, diligence, helps unto our God and to others, not for our sins, but because Christ has taken away our sins, made us pure and fit to be priests before our holy God. You see, Christ is the one who has refined us being poor sinners. And like Levi of old, He has by Himself purged us of all unrighteousness that we might offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Christ is the purger and perfecter and Savior of His people. And it's by that work that He makes us fit to be a kingdom of priests who can offer 
an offering in righteousness unto the Lord. Perhaps the most beautiful expression of this truth is found in Revelation chapter 5. We know the text well. This is the saints in glory in the presence of the Lamb who had been slain. And God on the throne, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof. For Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We've been made kings and priests unto God, we who've trusted in Christ's blood. And there is all the glory for this outstanding turn of events where poor sinners are made kings and priests to God by the blood of Jesus. It gives all the glory to God and to the Lamb, leaving none of it unto ourselves, as we, as sanctified believers, would have it so, that it should be no glory to ourselves, that all the glory should be unto the Lord. And the rest of this little passage describes the consequence of this announcement. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped Him that liveth forever and ever. So we are a kingdom of priests. We've been purified by Christ's blood to be fit to make offerings in righteousness unto God, to come into His presence through the veil which is the flesh of Christ, and to offer up spiritual sacrifices which the Scriptures delineate several times, none of which are sin offerings, but all of which are praise, thanksgiving, and blessing, and obedience, and worship offerings unto our God. So that all the glory for our priestly work goes to the Lord Jesus. Goes to the Lord Jesus. None of it to ourselves. This is not a position that we are to brag about or to feel like we're something special, although it is special, you see. In no other time in Scripture have all the people of God been the priests of God. But He has been gracious to grant us that position for Jesus' sake. And we exercise our priesthood as believers around this table every Lord's Day. Not only here, but certainly here. We declare the glory of our Savior's death. And we give thanksgiving for His faithfulness, for His obedience, for His kindness, for His condescension, for His being made poor for us though He was rich, for His shedding His blood on our behalf and to save us from our sin. And that's what we do around this table. It's an act of our priesthood before God. Not the preacher's priesthood or the priest's priesthood, but the believer's priesthood which God has ordained that all of His people should enter into to the praise of His glorious grace 
for His people. Let's give thanks for the Lord's table. I'd like to ask uh, Brother Whitten if he'd give thanks for the bread that pictures the body of Christ broken for us. And the Scriptures tell us that on the night our Lord was betrayed, He took the bread and He blessed it and He broke it and He said, Take and eat. This is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Well, let's give thanks for the cup that symbolizes the blood of the Lord Jesus shed to make atonement for us for the forgiveness of our sins. Oh God, our Father, we rejoice in this cup that Christ left to us to signify and to remind us of the blood that He was about to shed on Calvary's tree to make an atonement for us, to cleanse us, to bring in an everlasting righteousness for Your people to make it where we could be, kings and priests unto Your name and unto Your glory. We thank You that He displaced all the other sacrifices, the ones given before and the ones that foolish people try to give now. All the other sacrifices for sin come to an end in the one sacrifice that Christ made for sin on Calvary's tree. We thank You that He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. We think of the fact that He gave thanks for this cup, knowing, unlike all the people there at that time, knowing full well that it meant His dying for His people, the shedding of His blood on the cross, the judgment that would come down upon Him from Your hand for our sins that would be laid upon Him there. And yet He gave thanks for it, didn't He? gives thanks not only for it as a food substance, but thanks for what it represented. Thanks for the fact that He would shed His blood and save His people from their sin. And so do to we, so do to we give thanks for the cup, not as a food item, but because it represents and pictures for us the blood of Jesus shed to make atonement for us. We thank You that He did not withdraw Himself from the sacrifice. He did not hide Himself. He did not run away, but He went straight to the cross without turning aside to the right hand or to the left and without complaint. And we thank You that You upheld Him, that He was sustained, that He was able to finish the work there once and for all. And we pray You would keep from our hearts any thought at any time of any other sacrifice or of any other representation of a sacrifice, or of any other false priests who would try to present some other sacrifice in the place of Christ's sacrifice and in the place of Christ as our priest. We thank You for the privilege of making us all priests in worship and praise and adoration and obedience and glory. Help us to fulfill our office and keep us clean and pure by the blood of Jesus And we thank You for this cup again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Scriptures tell us after they had supped that He took the cup and He blessed it. And He said, Drink ye all of it. This cup is the new covenant in My blood for the remission of sin. Do it as often as ye do it in remembrance of Me. And the Scriptures tell us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do preach the Lord's death until He comes. Let's stand and sing number 117 in the black book, O the peace forever flowing from God's thoughts of His own Son. O the peace of simply knowing on the cross that all was done.
Peace with God. The blood in heaven speaks of pardon. Now to me, peace with God. The Lord is risen. Righteousness now counts. Me free. Number 117.